0: The Beer EDU Podcast, episode 80, back to school with Wonder Woman and Jim Guy. Welcome to the Beer EDU Podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Hey Ben, how's it going?
1: I am good, Kyle. It is another episode of the Beery to You podcast, episode 080.
0: Yes, indeed. We got a pretty special one. Yes. Uh, we've been doing this. This is supposed to be our third back to school special, which yes. we say that. I think our second episode ever was the back to school special. It might have been. Yeah, Probably I was. It was early yeah, on. It, I know It was that. early
1: on. There so was some school involved. That's there what it was. Do.
0: There, there's always school involved. <laughs> there's always beer involved, which we'll get to in yes. a second. But first, I am Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech, Instagram Anderson EdTech, my blog AndersonedTech.net, and my book to the edge successes and failures through risk taking, available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon. And you, my friend, you are uh, Ben Dixon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at
1: BDixonNV. And what, since this is the Beer Edu Pod, let's uh, talk about some beers. Kyle, what do you have?
0: I got one that I'd never seen before because a friend of mine brought this to me from Texas. This is a beer called Real Ale Brewing Company's Fresh Kicks Hazy IPA. Whoa. 6.6% ABV, 40 IBU. That's a little bit kicked up on a hazy. Those, that IBU is usually a little lower than that. So a lot of tropical fruit, and mango on the nose, and then I get a lot of pineapple, and a nice okay. little dank earthy finish on it, but it's really super juicy. So I would call this a lawnmower beer. You don't get to All say right. it about IPAs real often.
1: Right on, yeah. It's a that and I'm surprised on the IBU with that for,
0: yeah, for a hazy. Yeah, those hazies usually typically are in yeah. the high 20s, low thirties on the, those. Well, right on. So so I have something similar but not similar. Uh so I have a
1: Belching Beaver, which is uh which is a great, great brand. I mean uh, I believe it's the peanut butter uh, is their, their yes, go-to. Yes, the peanut
0: butter stout is Belgian beer, yes. yes.
1: Yep, so this is a hard seltzer. Yes, that is correct. It is not a beer. Um, and a funny thing is, is like because of my um, my ADD, I'm going to blame ADD. Because when I go to the grocery store and I look at beer, I'm totally a visual person. And I'm like, I look for the can that I've never had before. And then I buy that one. And so I'm like, I bought this and I got home and I'm like, oh my God, I bought hard seltzer and I'm like oh this is gonna suck
0: you bought a craft white claw
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs) I bought fancy (laughs) truly is what this is and actually you know what it's way better than white claw truly because the reason I don't like those because I feel like they almost have like a chemical taste like they try to make them taste like fruit and I don't my wife likes truly and I've had a couple and I'm just like no I just I would rather drink beer this is actually really good it's it's it tastes like It tastes like a fruity drink, kind of. And it's got the same kind of fruit, similar to what you're drinking. It's got guava. It's got uh, passion fruit. It's 5.5% ABV. I I don't even think it has IBUs. I mean, I wouldn't even.
0: I can't imagine there being IBUs in that. So So, although there are like sparkling waters out there infused with hop essence to where I've never had that, which I'm intrigued I'm not going to say I wouldn't drink yeah. it, but at the I, same time, it's not something I'm necessarily looking for. Because if I want a hop essence drink, I'm just right. going to drink beer.
1: I know that's and that's my thing. I'm like, uh, you know, would I buy this again? Eh, sure. I mean, it's not, it's 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 good for a hard seltzer, so. you know, because I'm you know I'm I'm all about low Sue. so you know,
0: yeah, that's where I go. So. <laughs> Now you may have noticed during that exchange that we had some laughter in the background yep. and that was our guests and yes I'm just going to let them introduce themselves because they do it so well on their yep. own show the staff room podcast <laughs> I'm just I'm going to introduce them as Wonder Woman and Jim guy and let them take over from there because they are so classic when they do this so so have, I'm going to turn it over to you because that's that's your job from this point yes, forward. So
2: you are right, Kyle. It is my job. I do go first. So yes, my name is Hav Wander, and I do make up half of the Staff Room Podcast and also the Drive. So uh, we're really excited to be here today, and uh, and and you guys talked a lot about beer, and it was really exciting. So I'm I'm glad that uh, I got to have mine here with with you guys uh, today. So. Again, yes, I'm Pav and I make up half of the Staff Room Podcast and my co-host is here with
3: us. You said you make up half Pav, but ultimately the hurricane Che Cheney, because I'm an athlete we so i refer referred to myself himself. in the third person for the rest of the episode. <laughs> um, I only make up a 7% of the dynamic duo and you count for 93%, which is why you always speak first, always funnel us in the right direction, and I will try to comically keep it going just slightly.
2: <laughs> Perfect. I love it.
0: <laughs> yeah that honestly that that sounded like the beginning of an episode right there. That that was there you that, go. <laughs> that was perfect. Yep, I did much. not coach them ahead of time. I nope. did not tell them they had to do this. I just expected it and it happened. So that this is this is a beautiful okay. thing. People these are professionals. Sorry. Yes. So you did <laughs> yes. mention you have a beer. So tell I do us have a beer. what kind of beer you got.
2: So I don't drink a lot of beer. I, uh, I, I, I do prefer the seltzers and White Claw just came to Canada uh, just not too long ago. So <laughs> I have been drinking a few of those, but I have a Bose Juice Up New mm. England Pale Ale. And the can tells me that it's, it's got hazy notes, juicy citrus and dank hops. So there you go.
0: Those are always good qualities.
2: Yes.
0: <laughs> sounds very similar to what I've got. So. Yeah. And I did look it up. So yours is running at four and a half percent. So that's, um, yeah. yeah, you can throw those away. That's definitely lawnmower style. And then the 25 IBU, Ben, I think uh, some yard work could get done with yeah. that beer.
1: Yep. I, w- I, would, I would definitely drink some of those outside.
0: Now, Che, on the other hand, though, yes. he, uh, he did not go
1: <laughs>
3: something
0: light. Uh, Went and, all uh,
3: in, all in. The, this analysis of the beer is, is phenomenal because you, you spoke for about 30 seconds and I drifted into baseball world. So I'm like, oh, look at these extreme analytics. And I tried to make a, a quick connection. So you guys are talking 6%. And I was thinking I batted 450 in the month of August with the bases loaded. Um, I am drinking, you could call it a GNT, but we know we had a little pre-discussion that get a little boring. I'm actually having a Sonic, which is the gin, the tonic and some soda water. So it's not so much sugar because the hurricane doesn't need a lot of sugar to keep going. So I got to just try to eat a little tonic water for some flavor, but then the soda water. So I'm having a Sonic. So it looks like water, but it's it's not really water. We have it well taken care (laughs) of. And any professional athlete always wants to have a good Sonic after they've had a workout.
0: So he had to cut back not only on the sugar from the tonic water, but also uh, the malaria must have cleared up from the hummingbird-sized mosquitoes near you, right? <laughs> so, well, I walked them away with his hat. Yeah, that definitely. So, we'll welcome both of you. Thank you so much for taking yep. time out to join us here. So I've been looking forward to this one for quite a while now because, like we said, Ben, this is our back-to-school special. It
1: is. Yep. Yep. Everyone at this point is back to school in some form, we're all in different situations. So I'm super excited to hear what, what does it look like for our neighbors in the North?
2: (laughs) So we we actually are not yet back in school. Uh, We start uh, on September 15th is when when classes begin. I was supposed to be, it was supposed to be September 8th, just after uh, Labor Day uh, is when we normally begin. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been delayed by a week. So just to, in order to development, but, uh, but mm-hmm. school has not yet started yet. We've got a couple weeks to go to sort of get things in order and, and organize. So
1: then, so then with that, and you talked a little about, so you guys have that extra week. So are they, are they giving you professional development to get ready for whatever that's gonna look like during that time?
2: So the professional development is only scheduled for uh, three days next week and oh, okay. then um the the rest of the time they're actually using to um to get some other things in order, so we have uh, some additional funding that's been given to the the boards and to all the provinces actually as very recently and so to uh make class sizes smaller they're mm-hmm. they're taking all kinds of the the registration data and figuring out you know how they're going to make classes smaller um know how many teachers are going to be coming in versus not coming in so Mm -hmm. a lot of number crunching we assume new hiring that will likely need to happen um you know uh, fixing up the hvac systems in the schools Mm -hmm. um and and then of course the teachers with their with their classroom setups are are probably going to need to make a lot of adjustments as well so All of that will come down to us in the pipeline next week, and then we'll have to kind of sort of figure out what to do next.
3: So I think what you just said is we're doing seven years of infrastructure reform in four days.
2: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: That's a great way to put it, yes.
3: Yep. Um, Pretty much,
2: yeah. yeah. Fab, you talk.
3: We've got about two days of PD lined up, and then there's a gap of about seven days, and and no one really knows yet. And who does really know? But mm-hmm. no one really knows exactly what we're going to do. We have certain uh, checkpoints we want to hit in terms of sizing, right. in terms of social yeah. distancing, and then you just start to do basic math. Well, our schools aren't big enough. Our schools are overpopulated. Right. Where are we gonna go? What buildings are we gonna requisition? Right. And then all of a sudden, now we need to hire teachers. So um, there's no one that has an easy job in the next two weeks. Maybe us teachers have an easy job because we have to wait to walk into the storm, but then we know we are gonna go head first into that storm. So it's not necessarily a lot to do before the 15th, but it's a lot of waiting, it's anxiousness. And it's yeah. a lot of like second guessing, like our, should we be going back face to face? Should we have just made the decision to stay remote in July? when we had pumped out all the resources, when we could have directed our PD and our funding to say, Let, let's Google certify every teacher on our board. Let's Apple certify every teacher on our board. And in Canada, like we're not big on the one-to-one ratio. Like my right. class got Chromebooks two periods a week. Well, maybe we could have taken our funding and we could have made sure we had the one-to-one and maintain that trajectory of remote even if remote learning or from crisis learning to remote learning isn't necessarily the best path, it was probably the most consistent path we could have kept because we're now days away and and no one's in a position to be able to make the infrastructure changes that you need to make to make this work. So there are a lot of people that are anxious. There are a lot of people that are nervous. There are a lot of unknowns and people are working hard, but I mean, I've been in my school 20 years. I can already tell you, you can't facilitate social distancing. I can already tell you better bring in 18 hacksaws and you better start cutting all those double desks that we've been jamming our middle school kids into. I can already tell you the science room is now unusable because it barely fits 25 kids surrounded around one table with four kids. What are you gonna do? I mean, Cause there's no, you don't have the, the, our board is the third biggest in North America and that comes with strengths, but the, the ability to make rapid change is not one of those strengths. So uh, I'm looking forward to getting into the building but we're gonna see what's really available and how we're gonna make it work. I don't even know if I'll be teaching in the building. Pav doesn't even know if she'll be teaching in the building. I don't, and, and I don't
2: actually know even what I'm teaching because assignments are likely going to be changing if new uh, hiring okay. is happening. Right. Yeah, so I'm, I'm currently mm-hmm. assigned to a grade one, two split class, but okay. I don't know if I, you know, like right. my, my principal knows that that's not my strength. I'm okay. I'm, an inter- I'm an intermediate teacher. And so I've, right. I've even said to her, "I listen, if you need to hire new teachers, please move me to intermediate. I can right. serve you a lot better there. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I don't even know if that's going to happen. So we, like many of us don't know for teaching support teachers they don't yeah. know what they're teaching they know that they're likely going to be getting a class yes right yes che
3: when you when you establish what my strength is can you write it down and maybe text it to me and let me know because i've been teaching 20 years and i don't quite have that down yet that i actually have the strength so if you see something in me when you talk about your strength just shoot me a quick text message and then i'll save it so i can always draw upon that later thanks <laughs> just Whoa. say 20 years. I, I
2: have a, <laughs> Jay. I, have, I, have, a uh, I have a list. I have a list. <laughs> not, of, not,
3: not of good things. Not of good things.
0: <laughs> I
2: was going to say I have a list of characteristics that I've oh. jotted down over the past. <laughs> <while>. Ooh, <yes.
0: laughs> so Che, you're saying that you, you don't have these strengths. You're still searching for it. And still you're in searching. the third largest board or in the United States, we call it a district. How many students right. are in that board?
3: What, what are we it? in
0: that, like, our board?
2: I want to say 600,000 but I
3: don't know if that's We're we're 6 we're 600 plus schools in the district, right?
2: Oh sorry, so maybe it's 300,000.
0: Whoa, okay. Wow. Kyle, Kyle, what are I'm in the five. fifth largest been... district in the United States and we have 325,000 students.
2: So it's something in that range. Yeah. yeah,
0: so we're we're probably very similar in size then. So it, yeah. Look it up on the internet real quick. The number you um, find first is the number we go with. And,
3: and don't fact check <laughs> it. We just go
1: with it. Because everything on the internet is correct. We already established. Um,
0: well, now, Che, you also mentioned that you've been in the game now for 20 years. So what have you been doing in those 20 years besides trying to figure out your strengths? Um, my strengths
3: are one, gym guy. Uh, so I try to build on that. You know, 20 years, and you always think at 10 years, you know, but... You you don't really know, and then at 11 years, ah, if all I I know everything now, I got it, and at 20 years, I've been along around long enough to know that I don't know, and that in year 25, I'm going to be so much better than I was in year 20, and so I've been teaching 20 <laughs> years, I've been teaching LA and gym almost all that time, almost all grade eight, and I can tell you that from the 17th year back to the 13th year, back to the seventh year, there's always an evolution. There's certain core, there's certain elements that make me confident and comfortable, but everything else keeps growing and evolving. And sometimes I hear like, oh, you gotta change it up a little bit. I actually, I don't need to change it up. I got a solid base that I'm comfortable in, that I'm confident in, and with that confidence allows me to go off and and try new things, both in the physical education area, both in the language arts area, that comfortableness allows me to try different things in the extracurricular. So I don't need to sort of fabricate, change. Changing things up to give myself different experiences, teaching grade eight LA and, and gym for for 17 years, uh, I taught grade six before that, has given me a foundation that really allows me very comfortably to try other things. So you know five years ago I didn't do anything with student council, I just I, I did my sports, I did a few extra extracurric- extracurricular, now I'm in year 20 I still got my sports but uh, now Pav and I will dive in and we'll do the extracurricular era. there, uh, sorry we'll run the student council, we run the student election. So having that base for 20 years for a long time really allows you to to dabble and try with other things. And I think there's real value in having that good, secure base as a teacher. When you feel very comfortable where you are and what you're doing, it allows you that freedom to go off and do other things. So in 20 years, I feel comfortable enough to know that I want to be great every day. I know I'm probably good every day and I'm certain that in three years, I'll look back and say, yeah, I didn't quite have it back then. And and I like that. I like that about that teaching. I don't like thinking that I've got it. I like the idea of I'm trying to get it. I wanna be perfect, but I know I can't be perfect, but I'm gonna keep progressing. And even 20 years in, I'm not so stoic or rigid thinking I got it. No, I don't got it. I got a few things working for me, but the best thing I have working for me is when something goes wrong. The first question I say is, what can I do differently to make this right,
0: Pav? What about you? You? How long have you been teaching for, and uh, what what have you been doing in your time in the classroom?
2: So, uh, my my teaching experience hasn't been as uh, you know as consistent as Chase has. I've I've sort of been all over the place. I've been teaching for now fifteen years. I, started off as a grade six teacher and I had a lot of, I, I did probably about five or six years consistently for grade six. And then, um, you know, I had a couple of maternity leaves and, and we have the full year maternity leave. So I was off for two years out of the, out of the 15 that I've taught. And, um, and then I, you know, I, I so I've, I've sort of moved around a lot in teaching um, different schools and different assignments. Um, I really long for that consistency because, uh, as Che mentioned, it's really nice to have that, that part of your day down so that you can sort of dabble in some of the extracurricular and you can sort of um, re- introduce some new things to your day. You know, it, it, you're not worried so much about your classroom work. You want to, you know, you want to try something new. It gives Mm -hmm. you the opportunity to be able to do that because you're strong with your, your curriculum, you're strong with your students and how to build relationships with them. Um, You know, when you're moving around from class to class, from school to school, you have to get to know new staff members. You have to get to know new administrators, uh, new students. Um, And then, you know, it takes a little bit of time for you to get to know all of those things so that you can start to feel comfortable again with, with the other stuff. And, Uh, you know I've been able to you know I've been doing uh, rotary science for the past couple of years now and so that gave me a real opportunity to start like a really great robotics program Um, and so that was really nice but now you know not only am I moving to grade one two but I'm changing schools again so it's just you know a lot of moving around and it doesn't and give you a lot of uh, opportunity to be consistent and dabble in other things, just because your illustration. So um, that's something that I, I would really like to have for you know even five six years, just a little bit of consistency, so I can build on my teaching and uh, learn some new things along the way.
1: I, I think that's a really interesting person. As someone who's like on his tenth school, I, and I like K. I've been a case. K- through sixth grade teacher, I've done a bunch of stuff. I, I've never really thought, it, but that, you make a great point both of you that like once you get super good at your craft, then you can do your craft and then you get to like plug in those other things and not worry so much about, am I just, I gotta just get good at doing this. So I, I think that is interesting because some people I think, right. I think there's a perception sometimes that if you're, not, if you're not trying new things all the time, you're not really growing, but I, clearly that's not the case.
2: Chay, like even, you know, chay has been teaching grade eight for 17 years, but that doesn't mean that he's doing the same thing every right. year, right? right? So there's an evolution in the way that you're teaching and how you keep things fresh and how you keep things new. Um, you, you know, you can always fall back on that base, right. um, which, which you don't have when you're changing curriculum, when you're changing grades mm-hmm. every year, you're changing schools every year. So, um. You know, it would be nice. It would be nice to just experience that to see how that works, just to just to know, you know, does right. that actually work? Is my right. theory right?
3: Pat, you you bring up that great point. Like I can think of like teaching, say, a five paragraph explicit essay. Like, but what's evolved of- over time is, is is that part of the curriculum is still core, but right. it's I've I've modified my pre activities, I've modified mm-hmm. my during activities, I've modified my post activities, you get new pedagogies, you you embed them in them. So being comfortable with your foundation really allows you to adapt with all the changes of education where if you're swapping grades, you've got to learn the base first and then you can start to adapt all these new pedagogies. But as a middle school teacher, I'm sort of comfortable knowing what's going to work with a fortune or what's not going to work, or I have enough of a base. So I'm willing to take that chance with this, this new pedagogy or this new resource that comes in. So it's even, it's not even about being static. It just gives you such a base to work with when you're so comfortable with your content, you sort of know where you want to go with your, with your programming. It allows, Allows you such freedom to try everything because you can pivot and shift so quickly. But when you're Pav, you brought up so many other things. When you talk about new schools and new teachers, Mm -hmm. you you can't, we don't expect students to learn that way. We want teachers to to learn the other way. I think what it is, it's easy to think, it's easy to say, my teachers are learning because I've I've moved them. My Mm -hmm. teachers are growing because I've learned them. Oh, you should switch schools, this will make you grow. You know what great teachers, which is, you know, all teachers, they don't need you to move me, to make me to grow. Believe it or not, I'm motivated enough in my craft that if you keep me in grade eight, you keep me in my classroom, I'm going to go out and find ways to be better at my craft the idea that moving me around makes me better is, in, is an inherent giveaway that you don't think i can get better without your guidance and i love administrators and i love coaches but i'll go on a little bit of a rant i don't need you to motivate me to be a better teacher i want to be a better teacher on my own and so when i go to you and i say i want to do this can you get me three cameras i want to do this can you get me a green screen the answer is yes 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 I don't need you to tell me to use three cameras. Um, and I love administration and I love coaches. I have great relationships with them, but don't think you need to force me or motivate me to somehow change or enhance my pedagogies. Teachers are highly motivated. They love their job. They love their craft. And anyone that loves their craft works tirelessly and endlessly. So I don't need you to tell me what book I need to read over the summer. Believe it or not, I'm going to read seven or eight books on my own and it's going to impact my teaching. And I might not be able to directly tell you that in chapter seven of this book, it's led to this activity in my teaching, but I can tell you it resonates and it impacts the slight vocabulary I might use or the resource I might use. As a teacher, don't, don't, um, I, that's my pet peeve. Don't think you ever need to motivate me or don't think you ever need to push me to somehow want to be a better teacher. I love teacher and I love teachers. And I know that they are craftsmen. They love to fine tune their craft. I don't need you to give me an easy check mark to say, oh, I know this teacher is going to improve because I'm going to switch their grades. I'm going to give them this opportunity to get better. I don't need you to do that for me. What a waste of my time. You want me to spend three days packing up my room to somehow make me a better teacher? Why don't you leave me in my room? And I'll take those three days, and I'll actually work on my program. I'll actually work on the things that would impact my kids. Um, but I won't even blame teachers. The whole system wants easy look for us to identify, oh, oh, I. you know what i 've helped my staff i 've made the move here here and here so they can show it to someone else the system really and the system really wants easy check marks checklists to say they 've done certain things so it 's not even a person it 's not a person it 's very systemic in what we expect from our educators and that the the only way to show growth if you 're an administrator or a coach is to say i 've got them to do this i 've got them to do that I can check it off the list and as a teacher, I believe it or not we all we all are organically committed to our craft. We love Mm -hmm. teaching and we love doing new things and we love to draw upon an educational resource. But maybe I'm reading um, Jesse Thistles uh, from the ashes and it's not necessarily an educational resource, but it's a powerful story about indigenous struggles and it's going to impact my teaching, but I guarantee you my board didn't ask me to read it. Mm -hmm. So that's a long, this is why the hurricane doesn't need any sugar. So it doesn't need any sugar. This is why hurricane will just get going on his own. I apologize. No. I tip my cap.
0: Thank you for <laughs> that. No, but I mean, you know, so many things of what you said, though, are things that I necessarily have never really thought about. So Things like whether you're in a school for 17 years or if you are in 17 schools in 8 years, whatever, that doesn't make you any less of a teacher either no. way. It's re- it really depends on really how you feel like me, Ben and I, we've both been at several schools and some of it has been by choice. Some of it hasn't been by choice. I, one of them for me was I took a job as a learning coach and then last day of school, they eliminated the job. And then I was stuck and had to go do something else. And then that kind of set off a three year period of my life that I was all over the place. And then the other thing, and you said that really stuck out to me was about how all teachers want to learn, want to be better, want to grow, try new things, etc. If you would have said that to me six months ago, I'm not necessarily sure I would have agreed with you because I would have looked and seen a lot of the teachers that were still doing the same things over and over again, like going, Ben, this is your line, I'm stealing this from you, going to the file cabinet and taking out the September file folder, making the copies and moving on. Six months ago, I wouldn't have agreed with you on that. But over this last six months and especially now going back to school, I am seeing the teachers, so many teachers that I normally would have looked at them and just dismissed them as the ones that were going to do the same thing over and over again. They're doing exactly what you said. They're excited. They're trying new stuff. They're trying to learn. There may be a little bit more complaining in the process, but I get it because this is a frustrating time right now trying to learn stuff, whether it's a new LMS or just teaching online in general, whatever it may be. So. I really applaud you for pointing that out because like I said, six months ago, I wouldn't have agreed with you on that one.
2: Yeah. You know, there's something to be said about that. I mean, none, none of this has been pleasant. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody has really enjoyed being forced to grow as teachers or forced to try something that you may not be comfortable with. I mean, there are some of us who, who were able to sort of, grow into that a little bit easier than others because we had some of that background knowledge. Um, And as much as people might have complained about things not working out, everybody has learned from this situation. And I think I would agree with you in that there there are definitely teachers that were taking the September folder out before, before all of this happened. Um, But what I think that this did, and sometimes this happens in education is there, there was a shakeup. There was a shakeup and we were forced. And, uh, and, and I think sometimes that, that forcing teachers to do something different really gives you a good ways of doing the things that you are doing right now. And you could probably enjoy this a little bit better. Um, for us, for Che and myself, that kick in the pants came when we started our podcast. And before that, you know, not to say we were stagnant in our teaching, because we were always continuing, wanting to continue to grow. But I think that the professional development that we received since we started podcasting has really been that thing to give us the kick in the pants. So as much as COVID-19 was really uh, you know, something that forced us to try something different, Che and I, I think, were forced to do something different as in, in sort of more of a reflective process. Because of us having to do a little bit more communicating with other teachers, a little bit more research so that we have topics for our podcast or have enough information to talk about for our podcast topics. But um, that for us was our real kick in the pens. And so sometimes in teachers careers, those those things happen, um, you know, on their own or collectively as a group, which we all experienced in the last six months. So Either way, I think I totally agree with you um, that you're right when teachers are given that opportunity or given that, you know, that sort of push to say we got to change and and we're all going to have to change at one time uh, to do something a little bit differently. It happens And, and people grow with that. And Whether you like it or not, but I'm sure that there are, you know, every teacher in this last six months has picked up something that they enjoy a little bit better when it comes to the way that they are teaching. So um, whether they want to admit to it or not, uh, they might realize that maybe once they're back in the classroom and, you know, this tool has been amazing. Thank you for the opportunity for me to learn it. Um, but it, it's gonna help them in the future. And so uh, hopefully there's enough of those file folder pulling teachers who recognize that in that reflective process um, along the way to say that, yes, it was definitely something that was very good for us.
1: Well, and, and I think I think it's not, we talk a lot about teacher change, teacher change. This this event, pandemic, global pandemic, is forcing a system change. Because we can talk about teacher change, teacher change, and you get a bunch of teachers are motivated, and I agree with you, Che all the teachers that I work with, they want to get better until you have a system change where we just go, okay, you don't have to teach the same way. Like this, this archaic way that we're teaching kids for the last hundred years, we can't, this, it will not work in this, this situation. I I know we've talked about on this show. I I do think this is the moment where we're going to have a true revolution in in education, where we, we start, you know, take a step back from maybe high stakes testing and some of these things. And we look at like, are we truly educating kids to move on into the new world beyond like, hey, it's a 21st century skill because I gave you a computer. We got to move past that. That's, that's not what it is. So I would agree. I think it's, it's teachers changing, but we're also having a system change because otherwise we're not going to, we're not going to be able to educate kids in this situation.
0: Well, and the kind of piggyback that Ben, uh, we've mentioned this before too, about how before you had your standards and say there was 40 things in those standards mm-hmm. you had to teach, what are the most important four now? Yeah. Really, we're we're this is a what's this is a meat? great time to really analyze what we're teaching and what's important. What do we want them to know and what skills do we want them to get from that instead of just trying to fill hours of instruction with what we think or what or, or what our opinion is to be in the important thing. So you're right there's so many things that are going to change as a result of this. so well
1: and and not just academics it's like
0: truly addressing trauma with kids that are coming back and
1: adults that are coming back into a situation that that wasn't their making i mean there's going to be a lot of i i I, i'm glad we're having at least in schools that i work in and with, with people i work with we're having these discussions about like kids are coming back freaked out if they're you know parents are coming back freaked out teachers are coming back freaked out so let's start let's That's the elephant in the room. Let's start talking about it. The trauma is a big
3: piece because I start to think we're bringing our kids from trauma. And if you're going face to face, you're bringing them back into trauma because they're coming back to a space which they somehow don't realize that space exists physically. It does not exist how it was before. When you think of social distancing, you're not going to be doing rotary. You're going to have to have... You, like you're gonna overmanage how you move through the room. The idea of sharing resources isn't gonna happen. The idea of how you go to the washroom needs to be, like I think of our school, you got 700 kids and you have two spots where you can go to the washroom and right. you're telling you can only go one. Like, so I'm worried, like you're right, where our kids need to come back to our schools but mm-hmm. it's 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 shifting one potential trauma to right. now to another trauma because right. if you're coming to be relieved you're not going to be relieved no. i tell people it's like coming into a hold down lock and secure mm-hmm. like your kids our rooms are so tiny you're like you you, you like i i'm worried about how much time i'm just going to spend managing social distancing rules rather than right. teaching the way i've been used to teaching right. so I, you know what i'm not even against necessarily face to face but i'm more right. worried about the trauma or um, how different it's gonna be going back into the buildings. And, And I don't have experience, like I'm more, that's probably why I've always said it's best to stay remote. And despite, you'd have to be very poignant. There's still families that are to be impacted. But if you had committed, like when I think of our board, if we had committed to this in July and said we're staying remote and we're staying remote to March, you would have facilitated funding and you would have, you would have worked on the one-to-one teacher resources. But then you could have done your surveys. You could have reached which families are truly impacted and you could have diverted funds there. Or you could have brought in a hundred or found a way to facilitate a thousand kids coming into their school to really pinpoint who is really still stuck at home where they need that support and Pav and I teach in a community where that support's needed but you could have spent the two months really figuring it out when I think of our spending and I'm not a a a numbers guy but most of our, our funding now is going the last minute to facilitate the hiring of more custodians to clean the building the hiring of more teachers to facilitate smaller classes but these aren't sustainable positions you're funneling money all in at the last second to make this work but what happens if we go back to sort of a new normal where we don't necessarily need to limit our class we don't have social distancing you've funneled a ton of money that you could have funneled in two months ago into social services really supporting the families that are still going to be struggling six months in making sure all our kids are one-to-one ratio whether uh, the board is providing those uh, devices or you're uh, networking with some company to provide a very minimal cost for families and then a again, in, including, te- improving teachers, well, along with motivation. I want good PD. I want you to, to facilitate me becoming an Apple certified teacher. I want you to facilitate me becoming a Google certified teacher. And so when I think of the money, maybe I'm wrong because I don't have this expertise, but it's last minute shoving money into areas that are not sustainable, that you won't keep. We're going to hire 400 teachers in the next week, but in three years, those 400 teachers will no longer be here. We won't need them anymore. Not that we don't need them, but the numbers won't dictate it. Where I always think, mm, if we had just made that decision earlier, even if it wasn't necessarily the right decision, it's like, I think of like baseball, make it a sports analogy. When that ball shoots down the line, just call it fair foul right away. And we don't really have a complaint, but when you wait and wait and wait and wait, and then at the last second, you try to correct it. uh, And so to your point, like when we're talking about trauma, I I, I appreciate and and worried and facilitate and talk to families and Mm -hmm. students about their trauma. But then are we really bringing them from, we're bringing them from a trauma and we're going to put them into a new trauma, at least that's what I anticipate because I don't have that
1: experience, but that's what I fear. That, and I think you make a great point. I think that that's why that has to be embedded in however we do this. If it's, if it's like remote learning, distance learning, if you're doing face to face, if you're doing hybrid, we have to have serious conversations within buildings, within with kids about like, how are you feeling about this? Cause you're exactly right. I mean, it is, I can tell you in the two weeks that we've been back in school face to face, it is way different. And some kids are like kind of weirded out by that. And some kids, you know, the beautiful thing about elementary school kids is they're like, whatever, it's cool. I want to get, you know, so I, I think some of them, I, I, but I, I think some of them still have some of that. I would agree with you that they're still freaked out because they don't, you know, it's weird to see your teacher with a mask on all day. It's just, it's just not normal.
2: Right. And if we're talking about even the, the younger kids, I mean, the intermediate students, they have some sort of awareness of this but my six-year-old is going to be going back expecting to be able to sit and play with his friends and uh, you know he for recess with his uh, brother he's like well I I was really looking forward to having recess with my brother but now I'm realizing that that's that's not going to be happening and suddenly he doesn't want to go anymore now he's kind of like well why do I want to go back to, to a classroom where I'm not going to be able to play with my friends uh, that are in other classes? Because he's going from kindergarten to grade one. So he may not have a lot of friends in his class that he knows. And so, you know, he's already kind of anxious about all of that. And so, you know, the our little ones that don't quite understand what's happening, you know, these are students that are going going. To, for the very first time, I mean, my son is starting grade one and, and he's starting in, in a s- situation where it's, it's going to be very far from normal and he's already anticipating that he's not going to like it. And so that, that to me, that makes me a little bit sad. And so it's, it's sort of like, well, you know, we kind of want to do the best that we can right now. But at the same time, we got to understand that a lot of students are going to be coming in not really understanding why things are not normal. And, you know, I thought everything was fine. I thought we were allowed to go back to school because coronavirus is sort of under control. And so why do we have to do all of these things when it's not? And and our older students, yeah, they might understand it. But the little ones are still going to need a lot of help to understand those things. And so that's sort of where my head is at, because that's, that's what I'm going to have to really be, you know, spending a lot of money on, especially in the very beginning, like, you know, we're used to sharing these toys. We're used to playing with each other. and, And now we can't do that. Why not? You know, that's, that's not the school experience that I know that's not the school experience that I'm coming in to expect. And so that's, um, That's a big thing, I think, that we need to be prepared for um, going back in.
3: Just the sharing of resources Mm -hmm. scares me too. And not that it scares me, but when I think of how I set up my class, I would never make a pencil or paper or notebook or markers or charcoal or pastel or paintbrushes an issue. I always told my kids, I'd give them a list of things that might make your year easier. But I said, but I will provide everything for you anyways. A glue gun, hot glue sticks. And now I realize this has sort of been my pedagogy. I've always promoted, it's great if you have these things, but I will have these things for you. But sometimes when you got a class of 30, you can't always, assu- I can't assure that every kid can have a glue gun when they want it because they want to build something. But now I realize that whole foundation of how I teach has to stop because I, I can't share anything. I can't, you the, the, you you have to have your glue gun or, or what do I do all of a sudden? Like these are one of the things I'm pondering, like Pat, when you talk about that, that sharing, I think of how I've set up my middle school class, I would never Never make a supply an issue. I would always make it that I, you could come to school, you could come to class with nothing and that's fine. If you're a class, I will do everything else to give you everything you need to, to jump in all these learning opportunities. But now I realize, and Pat, you know, in our community, not every kid is coming with every supply. There's no way every kid is coming with a supply. They are used to us taking care of them. And, and, and I'm used to, and I like to, and I want to, I like to build our classroom culture of, the teacher will supply whatever is needed. Don't ever feel you can't engage in the learning opportunity because the supply is not there or you don't have watercolor paints or you don't have pastels or you couldn't bring in a canvas. Teachers got it. But now I realize I, I, what would I do? I've got all these shared stations of supplies. You, you can't share it. I Even I wonder how do I give out a worksheet and, and I don't even give out worksheets. But now I'm starting to wonder, we don't have the tech in our school. I can't share supplies. I'm starting to, I'm starting to think about worksheets. I like the irony. is: I'm, All of a sudden, I'm starting to think about a worksheet when I bring my kids in face-to-face. It's like, how would I even, how would I even hand out a newsletter? And, am I allowed to hand out to every kid? Do I have to have a stick that puts it on every desk? Can each kid go to the station? Like... And, and maybe I'm just overthinking it, but these are things where I've never had to think of before. So, Pav, when you said that word shared, just triggered off, like a lot of the things where we have these shared spaces, this communal spaces where you just think kids can go in, you have your maker space, I have my art cart, I've always made sure no student ever needed to bring in a supply and all of a sudden everybody realized, what can I do? I could give the one student the paint the one time, but it's a one-off. But with middle school kids, you know, you, you lend them paint on Monday. Be prepared and be okay with the idea that you got to lend them all new paints again <laughs> on Tuesday. And don't get mad with them because you'll lose your class in middle school. I'm never worried about that. I've always made that a point. Like a kid loses their notebook I said, yeah, I don't care if I gave you a, a, three notebooks a week. I'll give you a notebook on Monday. I'll give you a notebook on Wednesday. I'll give you a notebook on Friday. I've always had that mentality. That I will I will break every barrier to make sure you can engage in the opportunity, learning opportunities. And then I start to realize some of these subtleties, they they vanish when you're
1: going face-to-face with all these new criteria. So That's it. And that's you. Those are things I I can't speak for your administrators, but all the administrators that I work with and I know, trust me, those are things we think about. Like I never thought I have to create a traffic pattern in my school. Like that's not, I didn't go, I'm not a, I don't know logistics. I'm like, I can barely fill out a spreadsheet. Okay. That's not my skill set. but I'm like, okay, I got to figure out how to move this kid from this space. And like my classrooms are 50% capacity as opposed to what I can, so, so where am I gonna put the other kids? Like what, what spaces do I have in my building? I can tell you that is something I think definitely administrators and, and definitely teachers are already thinking about, but you're right. I mean, that's, we've for so long created this culture of teamwork and we work together. I mean, I'll just, I'll just speak for myself. It is so weird to walk into a classroom and see kids in rows. It's so yeah, bizarre. I'm like, is. this is not, and all my teachers, like the majority of the teachers that I work with have flexible seating and they all have tables and they're looking at me like, how are we going to do this? Like at one point we were like, we're going to go get the extra desks from the middle school because they don't need them all. And we're going to put them back in the elementary school, which is like, so just blows my mind that we're, (laughs) it's like, whoa, we're going backwards. And so in some respects that that is just so different.
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. I mean, I see all of these classrooms that people are posting on Instagram and all yep. over the place and and they're they're seated in rows. And this right. is everything that we've been doing in the past well, it, 10 yeah. years, bringing everything to the flexible seating and, mm-hmm. you know, being together. We're not in rows and now suddenly we're back in rows again. And, and we don't even have the luxury of having desks in all of our spaces. Like, right. you know, I taught in the science lab for the last three years right. and we don't have desks in there. We have tables where we can set up and we have benches along the side. And that's it. So, what's going to happen in that classroom? That's a space that we should be using, but we've got to move those spaces, and there's not even a, enough room for desks and stuff that, uh, you know, it's all stuff that we have to be thinking about now. And, um, and administrators certainly are, custodians are certainly thinking about these things and how to accommodate all of it. But what well, going to look like, I don't
1: know. I, I mean, I can tell you, we're like in the second week, and so far, knock on wood seems to be going good feedback. I mean, I know my teachers are working their asses off. I mean, that's, and I don't, we don't swear on the podcast, but that's what I'm going to say. They are killing it. They are killing I'm like, I, if they could, I, I don't know. I'm like, if I could let you go home early, I would, cause you guys are putting in longer days than you need to, but it'll, it'll, we'll get there, but it is just weird. It is in the name of keeping kids safe. It is kind of funny how like we kind of have gone backwards in some aspects, in some respects.
0: Yeah. And unfortunately, no matter what a school or a district or a board does, it's not gonna be the right thing for everybody, no, no matter right. what. There's always gonna be, it is gonna be a 50-50 split across the board on what the correct answer is. And ultimately, we just gotta make the best of what we got. Do I really wanna sit in my house at a desk in my bedroom with a green screen hung on my wall and teach from there? Absolutely not. I would much rather be on campus. But at the same time though, I know that this is what I have to do right now in order to make sure that my kids are safe, my family's safe, that I'm safe, all of the above. So, and whether we have to do this for the next three months, or if this is the next three years, I'm gonna keep doing it regardless. So, and I I know as educators, we all feel that way and we just gotta hope that other people start to kinda come around to that too that it's a time of sacrifice. And I know that the numbers where you're at are coming down. It sounds like Nevada has been kinda high. Sounds like lately they've been coming down a little bit, but we're not, we're not nearly as bad as uh, some of the Southern states or like what New York City was in the beginning. But uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a long road but, again, we just, we just got to stay straight on the road, and we'll all get there eventually. Yeah. yeah.
1: So then what's, what's school going to look like for the opening for you? What do you envision? Like how, how's that first day of school going to look like for you guys?
2: I wish I, wish I even had <laughs> the faintest idea. I, I really do because um, I'm losing a ton of sleep at night thinking about what it could be. And, uh, and we really just don't know. I mean, we won't know until at least we go in for our professional development and say, you know, this is what, this is what entry is going to look like, or this is, you know, this is where everybody is going to be, or this is what the bathroom, you know, situation is going to be like back face to face. And that's, that's really been beneficial for us. But, you know, as, as a collective, um, as a staff, we, we have to go over all of these things and Che and I have the benefit of you know and a few other t- teachers might have the benefit of talking to teachers that have gone back fa- face-to-face in other parts of the world. But as a staff, we don't know this and so we have, have to go through all, all of it together and, and um, not really sure. I don't know about Che. Che, are you sure? Or how do you have the faintest <laughs> idea?
3: I I worry about class being boring.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, I know technology is not the be-all, end-all, but I think when you're doing this face-to-face, you have to have a certain access to tech, and I'm really worried that um, our school won't even have the time to re-infrastructure. Like I commented before, our middle school, each class two periods a week with Chromebooks, and then we gave them all out Rightfully so during COVID nineteen, but they're not all back yet. One of the sort of the negatives of the big board is is they were all dispensed centrally. So it's not like I gave out the Chromebooks to the three kids that needed it. Some central group came in, grabbed every bit of tech from the school, took it out, and sent it all over. And and that was rightfully so. But I'm going back to school thinking I'm not even going to have tech to lean on for a little bit. So I'm worried about how holding on to my class from nine in the morning till three in the afternoon, not moving and having uh, to rely on sort of archaic teaching practices. I'm a little worried about that. I'm nervous that I won't be as good as I have been. Not that you need to be physical and move around a lot, but I've always relied on a lot of physicality. I've moved around a lot. I jump around a lot. I'm worried about how am I, am I going to teach with the same level of intensity when a lot of the sort of innate traits that I have, I have to make sure I contain myself. So I worry, I worry about not being a good teacher. Um, but even trivially, I worry a lot about how do we get the kids in? We got, we got two doors and 700 kids. I'm like, when, when the bell goes, how long does it take for the first kid to go in till the last kid gets in? I'm thinking like, I'm, I'm, I probably feel okay. That once we get in the classroom, I'll be able to facilitate it. I'm a little worried that it won't be great teaching that, that bothers me a little bit, but I worry about all the transition pieces. I worry about how do we get kids in, um, that, to me, is going to take forever. I worry about simple things like the, the washroom, especially when you're in a big school that doesn't have a ton of, like, we don't have a ton. Of, we have one water fountain in the school, which, was, you know, two years ago seemed like this was the, the eco thing to do. But what are you going to do now when you only have one water fountain and kids need to social distance and you can't move anyone around? All of a sudden now that becomes a real issue where, you know, 10 years in our building we had multiple water fountains, but we removed them all. Um, so some of those little things, I worry about getting into the building. I worry about my teaching not being good enough. I, I'm worried about not having even a little bit of tech to embed some tech in that face-to-face. Because Pav, you've talked about that before. We've seen some pictures and some videos, but I've seen I've seen a lot of tech involved in a lot of that. Where you can yeah. facilitate sort of the group work when you have the tech. You can do a jam board, you could do an interactive blog. But I'm worried about I'm going back to as Ben, you talked about like this is gonna be some arcade teaching practices for a little bit Mm -hmm. because there's no way we're going to have a one-to-one ratio. Even if we got all our tech back, even that's not enough to facilitate what Mm -hmm. we're going back to. So I'm nervous that I won't be good enough. And, And the trivial things like water breaks and washroom and getting kids into the building... I just said, like, we'll see how it goes. But is 700 kids through two doors, how long does that take? And then I start even start thinking about scheduling. How do you do your duty schedule? Like, do I walk in with the first kid? Do I let the first kid go and assume they can maintain the social distance and I go in at the middle of the line? Do I go at the end of the line? Do we just position teachers all around? Then I start thinking of your hallway. you got a middle school hallway with four middle school classes. You'd have to bring one class in upstairs by themselves bring them in and then funnel the next class up because you couldn't facilitate it. So the three and a half hours to get the kids in will be perfect. Just in time to send them out for lunch, but we're not sending them out for lunch. We're going to keep them in the room for lunch. In my
0: experience, you'll
1: be
3: fine. Yeah.
2: There, there's so Darn. many of these. Yeah. You'll be I'm pretty surprised. sure that there are a lot of these things. That are, oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of this is very trivial. I'm sure. But, and but, uh, and. It,
1: I don't think it is trivial though. I think it is the things that te- that everybody's worried about. I think, I think that it's not that like, I was never concerned about teachers teaching. I was never concerned about it. My teachers are going to teach. They're going I was concerned about exactly what Chase talking about. I'm like, yeah. how, what if I have three kids go to the bathroom at the same time, but we don't know who those three kids are. And then one kid's sick. And then it's like, okay, yeah. well, which kid was it? And who did that kid meet with? I mean, those are the things that's what wakes me up at night. Not like, are my teachers yeah. teaching the content? I'm like, I'm oh. not even worried about that. I'm like, it, but I agree that is, that is, but that's the kind of stuff that we do worry about. And then I think that's, it it seems trivial, I guess, but it is, that's the heart of what we're doing right now. Those are the things keeping people up at night.
0: And I wouldn't have expected anything less for an analysis from the hurricane here anyway. So <laughs> anyway, so now you did mention the two of you that you've got, The Staff Room Podcast, and you've got The Drive on Voice Ed Radio. So tell the listeners a little bit about those two things and then where they can connect with you and find you on the interweb so they can uh, dive into these nuggets a little deeper.
2: Yeah, so the – the Staff Room podcast is what we started with, and we still put out an episode weekly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started just, just about a year ago, and so we, uh, we just put out, we're, we'll be putting out our 50th episode this week. So we're very excited about that. Um, and so that is every Friday evening. We drop the Saffron Podcast new full length episode. We've got a bunch of new um, bonus episodes that we are also releasing now, which include author talks. Our live radio show that happens on Voice Ed Radio. And uh, you can listen to that. There's a Voice Ed Radio app and also the website where, where you can be listening to that live. Friday mornings. Uh, right now from 9 to 11 a.m. and But that will be changing when we are back at school. Unfortunately, it is not part of our curriculum to be uh, broadcasting on the radio live. So unless we can sort of work that in, I know, unless we can work that in somehow, we're going to have to change our hours a little bit. Um, Before we went remote we were actually doing that from um, 8 o'clock to 8.30 in the morning before school started so but I can't imagine going from now a two hour block down to a half an hour again so we'll have to work something out on that at some point. but that is Friday mornings at the, at the moment. So please tune in tomorrow morning on the drive and, and you can find us on Twitter. That is probably the best place to get in touch with us. We are at staff podcast. That is our main account. We have at the drive voice Ed. myself. I am at pav wonder and Che is at Mr. C Chaney. So those are our Twitter handles and we are very active on Twitter and we respond to everybody. So if you are interested please reach
0: out to us there. Awesome. So I do have a request. I do ask that the next time you do the drive, you need to play Starseed by Our Lady Peace. So that needs okay. to happen. So I, I that is down. that is one of my favorite Good. songs by that band. Did you- um, I finally got to see them a second time a few months ago. They were opening for Bush and live. And my wife and I were two of the maybe, maybe, 12 people out of the 3,000 there that were actually there for OLP and it was absolutely stunning and amazing. And then got to meet the band, which was even more stunning and amazing. So, but once again, we cannot thank you enough for taking time out to join us. This was very insightful, very entertaining. So Che, I will say you do have some strengths. You just don't know him. So. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he does. <Yeah. laughs> You guys are amazing. Oh, thank this, you so this much. This is a comedy
0: podcast now, I guess, Ben. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so listeners, after yes. that, we want you to keep this conversation going. So what we need you to do is you can email us at info at beeredupodcast.com. Tweet us at BeerEDUPod. Use hashtag BeerEDUPod as well. Facebook at podcast, all one word. And if you're on Facebook Live for this, thank you so much for participating. Follow yeah. us on Instagram at beer pod subscribe to our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash beer YouTube. Make sure you're following Che and Pav on Twitter. And then also yes. the drive and uh, the staff room podcast, and then send us a voice message using the anchor app, leave us a review wherever you're listening. So more can find it. And then if you would like to be a guest our website, com. Click on the contact and subscription info link, complete the guest form, and we're going to get you on the show.
1: Yeah, and I, I would encourage you, definitely check out their podcast. It's really good. It's, it's I, I love what you guys are doing, and, and thank you for doing it.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we had a great time here with you guys. It's not always that we can drink while we are podcasting. So. Yeah, that whole school, that whole recording that whole story, at school what? thing. What? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I think when I proposed you guys coming on, I think uh, Che's reaction was, wait, I can drink? Yes. Stop it, <laughs> <laughs> Che. <laughs> well, the fun's yeah. not over yet because no, we've no. got one more segment. Ben, what do we do usually at the end?
1: So we're going to do a learn about it. And I believe, Kyle, you have a very special one for our guests.
0: I, t- I tend to try to tailor these to either the beers we're drinking or the yep. guests that we have. And I had, to t- I had to cater for the guests. So I went into the history of Canadian breweries there we go uh, for this one here so (laughs) so we did now this was this is kind of like going with one that we did a while back where we kind of did the history of brewing in the united states where when when english settlers came and brought beer and then eventually german immigrants as well so so similar to the united states canada very rich history with the brewing indigenous peoples in canada or the first nations as they refer to the indigenous in the, the north there uh they were brewing beer-like drinks before Europeans arrived and then in the 1600s French and British colonists were bringing beer into Canada. So from there this is where it got really cool. The first recruited or excuse me recorded brewery that I could find some info on went back to 1646 and it was started by a Jesuit missionary shortly after the foundation of New France which I thought was pretty cool and uh, that, uh, because I grew up in Michigan, that was part of New France at one point as well, so that, uh, that made the connection a little bit even deeper for me. So The first commercial brewery was in 1688, founded by Jean Talon, I believe I'm pronouncing that right. My French is not what it once was, even though I only took one year of French, so it never was, I should say. But that first commercial brewery was in <laughs> Quebec City. And this uh, Jean Talon founded this because he was tired of the colonists uh, drinking imported brandy and wanted something uh, that was a little bit more local. So, so uh, started up this brewery in Quebec City and it was very successful. It, uh, they were exporting to the West Indies even, to the French colonies there, but it only lasted five years. But I guess, according to my source here, uh, beercanada.com, the remains of that brewery are still in Quebec City. You can go there and see this, which uh, considering that it hasn't been there since the 1690s, I thought that was pretty cool.
2: That is pretty cool.
0: So, Now, the oldest still operating brewery in Canada and also North America, this one's a little bit older than the oldest one in America, Yingling, that one's Molson. Molson, yep. Founded in 1786 by John Molson. Now, this is where it got cool too. I didn't necessarily put this in the notes, but... I didn't realize that John Molson was into a lot of other stuff too, like Bill, he was a bank president and I mean, just the Molson family's name is all over all sorts of product projects in Canada. And it's still a very powerful family in Canada today. Now Molson is no longer just Molson, it's with Coors. So at Molson Coors, they merged together a few years ago, but then you got some other large breweries like Labatt and Moosehead that formed in the late 1800s. As a college kid in Michigan, I drank me a lot of Molson and Labatt, I will say that. So I would I would switch to whichever one was on sale. If it was $8.99 or 12 pack for Labatt, that's what I got. So, but the craft beer industry, just like the United States in the 1980s began to take off. Brick Brewing in Waterloo, Ontario, is credited with being the pioneer of Canadian craft beer. And now at this point, as of the writing of this article, Canada has over a thousand independent breweries all over the great white North.
1: Good job, Canada.
0: So,
2: so yeah, it's cool. a little
0: brief, very brief history of brewing wow. in Canada.
2: I like that. I learned a few things there. That was great.
3: Cool. I don't know if you know this, but we're we're a big deal up here in the North yeah. a, Like, We do a lot <laughs> of big things. We, we really take care of people.
0: So, well, and I used to always laugh um because we would uh, go over to Canada after we turned 19 because yep. you could legally have a beverage 19. over there. And yeah. uh, they would always make fun of the Americans because the beer was a little more powerful, so it didn't take as many. <laughs> and then at the yep. time, the, the American dollar, a uh, dollar American, got you about two bucks Canadian. So you could go over there with $10 American and have a pretty good night. <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs>
1: there
0: so, we go. <laughs> so and then the, the $80 Canadian hotel room that you and your buddies would have <laughs> to get for the night because you had too many to, uh, to go home, that, that came in handy too.
2: <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: So I will say the last time I was in Canada, though, a few years ago, the Canadian dollar is actually stronger. That was an yes. expensive trip to Toronto, I will say.
2: Well, I mean, if you could come, come back now, it would be a good time, too. Yeah. But So
0: I'm sure the flight there would be They're cheap, not going to let us in, sure. you know. Yeah. <laughs> We're
2: they're from Nevada. No. Yeah, they're not letting me. Yeah, they're they're not, not, letting us us. not
0: right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: no, not right now.
0: So may, maybe in a few months. So yeah. I, I feel oh, like I'm... I feel like in the Voxer group or on the podcast one time, you said something about everybody coming together at a lake in Canada somewhere. We'd all just converge and play yes. beach volleyball. There we go. Beer.
2: Love it. That's Love the that plan. Idea.
0: Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Well, yes. So much for joining us. Episode 81 will be next, Ben.
1: Yep, 81 is coming up. And again, thanks to our guests. Check them out on their social media. Definitely, definitely listen to their podcast.
0: Um, You will not be sorry. Not at all. And listeners, until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on.